This is another iRaw podcast. Are we ready? Let's go. Hello, everybody. Hold on, let me get the dog. Oh, Beagle. My name is Katya and this is The Animal That Changed You. I believe loving an animal is one of the most accessible, most available portals for self-healing in the whole world. And I want to be here for you if you're in the middle of experiencing that right now, or if it's already happened to you, or if you might someday embark on that journey. It's my privilege to encourage you to open your heart to animals and challenge you to deepen your compassion just a little bit more. Welcome to The Animal That Changed You. Hello, friendas and friendos, as my mom would say. You are listening to The Animal That Changed You, and I am your host, Katya. And I don't know why I'm talking in a robot voice. But hi, everyone, and how are you today? Thank you for coming back to hang out and love animals together. We have a Facebook group. Uh, just wanted to let you know, it's called The Animal That Changed You Community for Animal Lovers. And we ask questions and there's tips and feedback and just connection and general sort of excitement and geeking out about animals at large. It's very fun and sweet. And I want to see all pictures of animals all the time. So don't be shy about posting those. And I also want to read a wonderful review we got from Dr. Mike McSee. Dr. Mike McSee wrote a review about the animal that changed you, and it's called All the Feels. Review is, as a veterinarian, I don't spend my downtime watching animal TV shows or listening to animal podcasts, but the animal that changed you is worth breaking that habit. The love Katya has for the animals and the people whose lives are changed by them is the elixir this overworked vet needs at the end of a busy week. Thank you, Katya. Thank you, Dr. Mike McSee, for that review. Every review matters so much, and it just like helps the show and it just offers this wonderful energy around the podcast. So I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your work as a vet. You guys, thank you for leaving reviews and subscribing, following the show, telling your friends, all that stuff. And most of all, thank you for being here and for loving your animals. You are my peeps. So let's get to the show. Today we have Known Wells with us. Known Wells is a supreme empath and feely human, just a very special soul. And I'm excited he's here and I want to share our talk with you. Before I do, I just want to put a disclaimer that there is some talk of eating disorders and mental health issues in case that's a trigger for you. If you need someone to talk to, please do seek help. Let us know if you need some referrals or resources. We will point you in the right direction. Oh, and we got another wonderful voicemail with a little story about the animal who changed someone. So... I'm going to pop over there. We're going to play that before we go to our interview with Known Well. So, like, lots of wonderful stories today. Okay, here we go. Hi, this is Annie. I'm calling about the animal that changed me. He was Bodo, the dog. He's a hound mix. He's about seven years old right now. He's been in my life for almost five years. It's going to be five years on February 1st. And I, I did not grow up with animals. My my parents had grown up with animals, and they really enjoyed them, but they were older parents, so they decided just kids were enough. 
So when my, my husband and I decided that, you know, we had a home, we could bring an animal in. We were, you know, enthusiastic about getting a dog. We looked at rescues and Bodo was a good match for us. I was excited but nervous. And the first few months we had Bodo, I thought it had been a huge mistake. I was dealing with a lot of anxiety, um, just starting to get into therapy. So plenty of emotional baggage there to start. And Bodo was, he was such a good boy. I, I could tell he was a really good boy, but I didn't know how to communicate with him. He was having a lot of accidents um, because I'm being he um, had hookworms, so poor buddy. He had a lot of anxiety too, and so for a while, I just thought I am I am giving this dog such a bad life. He's stressed out. I'm stressed out. I don't know how to communicate with him. I kept asking my husband, "When does it get good?" But then we we worked with a, a trainer who helped us with his separation anxiety, and she she has said to us, "He can do this. Like he's a really good dog. He wants to." Be a good boy. He can do this. You can do this. You don't have to do this. And I think, like, once I started thinking, like, oh, if he's going to go back to the rescue, like, they won't know his name. Like, Bodo is his, his name that we, we gave him. And I, like, that made me think, like, oh, he is mine. Like, he is Bodo. And he has been such a joy. He helps my anxiety when I'm feeling sad or, dep- like, um, you know, stressed or... Sad. I, if I'm throwing a toy around with him, I, I literally cheer, yay. Um, and like, I, if I didn't have him in my life, I would just be sat on the couch. He's not like a therapy dog in that he's not very cuddly. He prefers to be on his own, but he's just so sweet, so emotionally aware. I'm so proud of him in so many ways. And I'm so glad he's in my life. He, thank you so much for sharing all the other animal stories on this podcast. I like cry listening to it. So thank you all. Bye. Many of the things you do, known Wells, you are the creator of the Feely Human Collective, and you are the host of You, Me, Empathy, and you're an adventurer and a storyteller and a writer, and you're a connector of people. You're an eating disorder survivor, which I want to acknowledge. I am also an eating disorder survivor, and I will put a trigger warning that those words are even being said. You're an advocate, not only for mental health, which I know is you know, the core mission of the Feely Human Collective, but also you're an advocate for just like love, empathy, feeling, vulnerability. Wow. I feel immensely uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) My work here is done. (laughs) (laughs) Katya, that's so sweet. It is a lot. As someone who grew up sort of like bypassing all of myself uh, at the behest of narcissistic parents and, and others in my life, it's taken a long time to recognize the value in myself and see me for who I am and see that as a good thing, right? And, and sort of empower myself. It's taken a long time. And so I have many moments in my life where I, I feel, who are you? Who are you? You're no one. Why would someone listen to you? And then when I hear someone reach out about the podcast or I hear your words just now sort of reflecting back like, oh, yeah, that's right. You are doing wonderful work. I need it, and I thank you. It's really my pleasure. I really want to hear about Scooby, and if he was part of you seeing these beautiful traits in yourself and part of you loving yourself, how you met him, how did he change your life? 
known. Scooby, I met <laughs> when he was a year old, uh, just about a year old. I met Jessica then. He was Jessica's dog. Jessica's my, my partner. Jessica's dog's first. He died in April of this year. He was 13 and a half. And when I first met Scooby, I had no idea who I was as a person. And I believe that Scooby saw me before I saw me. That's really the magic of like the purity of animal love is like they really truly see to your core. And he was here for and has been here for all of my ups and downs and my mental health journey and and sort of finding that I had major depressive disorder and helping me sort of like through the process of getting medicated. And he was just a dog who saw me for who I was, just a pure, unadulterated, joyous kind of love that will never be replicated. When he passed, my immediate thought, and this is sort of like an armored protective thought I think we have as humans was the thought of like, I don't know if I can do this again, right? I'm sure you've had that thought, Katya. And then of course, I I reminded myself that, you know, uh, dogs are love and we need them and they need to be rescued and they need to be in our lives because of that love, because of the love he carried. And he was just everything to me. Like uh, I work from home and we were together 24-7. It was the best kind of life. I will never forget him. I understand that, that coexisting together thing, which is like a different thing than talking a lot or doing things together and buying Mm -hmm. things for each other and all the things we do as humans. It's different when you're just in a room Mm. together and you're breathing in unison. That's a different kind of love that is very hard to do as people among people, I think. Yeah, I love that. I'm so happy that you had it with Scooby and... I kind of love that Scooby came with Jessica. I don't know Jessica, but I would say mm-hmm. that is such a testimony to her and like what she brings and who she chose as her it dog is. partner. <laughs> I need to say this, which is I grew up in an environment that was kind of cold and we had a dog, but the dog was an outdoor dog, right? I loved having the dog. It was a golden retriever named Montana and it's just a sweet dog. Montana slept outside in this area, like, you know, in our backyard. And then when I met Jessica, I was like, oh, this is an animal family. Like, there were rabbits. There were, there were hamsters. They were, there was a bird. There were cats. There were dogs. There were horses. Like, I, I married into a horse family, right? Can I also marry into this family then? You may. You may. <laughs> We are taking applications uh, now. <laughs> I have to work on my essay. I really want to be with the yes, horses. Yes, it's, yeah, it's a thousand words or more. Uh, <laughs> no, but like, I, I was just like, oh yeah, the dog sleeps in the bed. You know, it's like, this This is new to me. And growing up in the environment I did, it, it actually took me some time getting used to that. And then once I sort of saw the light, so to speak, I was like, There's no going back. It's really a testament to sort of the love of animals. And by that, I mean, it truly allowed me to to soften into who I was. It truly allowed me to like relinquish a lot of the control I had in my 20s, relinquish a lot of the just sort of like presentational sort of armor that we put up in our 20s. 
And it really allowed me to like shed all of that and step into who I was. It's the love of animals that did it. I mean, certainly Jessica had a role to play, but Scooby too. <laughs> I kind of love that you grew up with animals. I wonder if there is like a, you know, a really young known, a really kid version of known who felt as deeply as you got to feel with Scooby. I think that's our natural set point. I think that's how we come out mm. with ultimate consideration and compassion, just an unawareness of all the things we want and need in that moment. And I think animals are the ones who can give it to us. They can they can give us that sort of secure place to be there. And then I think we grow up and that dulls, doesn't matter. And I'm really taken by your identification as he, his, him, and and being so such an advocate for being a man with feelings and boys do cry and being soft and vulnerable and open. I think that's a really radical, necessary thing to show and have a role model for. Mm -hmm. For me, it feels so circular to coming back to who we are when we're kids and loving animals. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why, but it feels that way to me. <laughs> it feels that way to me as well, Katya. There's a reason why I'm wearing my The Call of the Wild shirt today. <laughs> you know, I grew up reading Jack London books, you know, Where the Red Fern Grows. Like I have these like deep attachments to stories of boys out in the woods with their animals, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's a reason for that. I, I think because I felt alone a lot as a kid and being very sensitive, I felt kind of unseen, right? I felt very unseen and, and not heard by humans, right? And animals, they don't have any of that baggage. They're witnessing all the stuff we carry as humans. And they're like, there's no need for that. I am here now. My love is here now. Be here now. There's a reason why, like, as I start, you know, started doing therapy and stuff, anytime I was with Scooby, I would remind myself, I would actually tell myself, be more like Scooby, be more like the dog, because they were here. He was present every moment. And he allowed me to yeah, just I just keep coming back to that. He allowed me to be who I was uh, because there was so long I wasn't that way. There was so long I couldn't be that way, it felt. He was a black lab, correct? Black Labrador, yep. Those wiggly butts. <laughs> Similarly, my Ophelia, my, my beagle, who is, we're talking about a sacred love. Mm -hmm. I also feel the daily, um, I'm never going to do this again. And I don't want anyone to be listening to this podcast and go, oh, God, we got to take care of this girl because I'm going to be fine. I want to share honestly. And I think you're a wonderful cheerleader for opening up about all mental health, all feelings and letting them all exist and welcoming them. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate that in you. So Thank maybe you. I'm just saying it because you're here. You know, sometimes I think to myself, she's going to be 17. I rescued her as a sick puppy. So I know her age. Mm. more than I do many of my fosters and other dogs that I've adopted. She's the last man standing. <laughs> but all this to say that I already am thinking, God, I'm going to be so lonely without her. Mm. I love my life. I love my family, my husband, my children. I'm so grateful. But there are things that I just share with Ophelia. Yeah. And I know that sounds so bizarre because I do have a partner and offspring and parents and sisters and 
appreciate my family, nieces, nephews, but there's just things that are just hers and mine. They're for us. And to yeah. think that I'll be going on without her, experiencing them without her. Yeah. It's it so hard. It doesn't feel fair. It's not fair. I feel you hard. And I, I think about this book I read this year called The Beauty of What Remains by Rabbi Steve Leader. He talks about the fact that things end is what gives it meaning, right? The fact that like our lives end is what gives it meaning, right? I've been sort of holding on to that as a, as a sort of truth, a hard truth. I think like dogs and animals can give us, they're really allowing us to like express or, or develop a kind of love muscle that is not equatable with humans. It's a unique type of thing. And I think for folks who don't have animals, I feel like it's their loss, right? Because it's like we're developing this other part of our hearts that's just not that can't be touched or grown in a way that's like, that's outside the context of, of animal love, right? It's just this unique, special thing that we have. And it's hard to even define. I love that quote. I love what you shared about that book. I'm definitely going to buy it now. That's great. What a beautiful concept. And I totally agree with you that it's a gift we only get from them if we're lucky enough and you and I are lucky enough. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about empathy and I want to ask you to tell us a little bit more about what the Feely Human Collective is. What are your goals with empathy for other people? When we're talking about animals here, I think right there in the same conversation is empathy, right? Because like when we talk about animals being present and receptive and listening and curious, like that's what empathy is. It's about sort of showing up, meeting people where they are. This is what animals do, right? They meet us where we're at. They're there for us. They see us. They're not bringing in their own baggage, right? They're like present as possible. And the thing about Feely Human, it's about empathy, vulnerability, and emotional curiosity. And those three things have been just crucial in my own recovery, in my own mental health journey. It's allowed me to really open up and to create uh, meaningful, connective experiences with myself and with others. And Scooby played a role in that. Like my, my sort of relationship with animals have played a role in that because it allowed me to work on my ability to be more present, to listen more actively, right? I think there's so much in the world. We need to do a better job at listening, right? I think there is a tremendous amount of nuance and complexity and gray and curiosity that we're missing out because we want to find the big meaningful thing or the big romantic gesture or the big light bulb moment or the, the box checking or the finish line or all these things that just are products of capitalism, products of hustle culture, products of anxiety and fear. I think the more often we can allow ourselves the space to be in that nuanced curiosity space, the more healing, the more connecting, the more growth, the more beauty. And animals do that very well. We have two horses, Katya, 
and I was spending time with them yesterday. They're half drafts, so they're they're big old beasts. When you're working with horses, it's the same sort of thing. It it is a it's a, an immediate reminder that they pick up on everything you're feeling, right? So it's it's like it's a reminder. It's and it's what I talk about with empathy all the time, or with just connective communities. Is like we are mirrors for each other. The same is true with animals, right? They are reflections back on what we are. So when I'm like working with an animal or a present with a dog or whatever, it reminds me to be aware of like, okay, where are you at emotionally? What are you feeling in your body? Are they picking up on this? Do you want them to feel the anxiousness that you're feeling? Like, no, I don't want that feeling. How can we be more curious about this? How can we be more present with your feelings, right? So I want that in all contexts every day, 24-7, because I believe it brings us together. I believe it heals us. I believe it makes us feel less alone in the world. You know, and as someone who has major depressive disorder, I'm, you know, you mentioned the eating disorder history, that stuff can make you feel immeasurably isolated, right? I have like 10 things to say. One <laughs> is I want to just hold up the word curiosity, which you've used many times and it's in your, you know, purpose as such a special word, because it involves, again, allowance. It involves permission for things to be what they're going to be, what you get back. Mm-hmm. It's There's a flow to the word curiosity. But there's also a playfulness. And I don't know if you had the same experience with your eating disorder, but as an anorexic, bulimic, compulsive overeater, triple threat, I am not playful. I'm not playful as a human. And I push back on this all the time. Still, to this day, I'm by my nature rigid, and Hmm. very controlling. It's okay for me to say that about me, I think is my wiring. It's, but it doesn't have to be forever. And every day it's a little less the case. And every day I make an active choice Mm -hmm. to play. And almost all the time it's with my kids and my dogs. So they all help me there. (laughs) My husband likes to sit by a pool. There's nothing I like less. What am I gonna do sitting by a pool? What do we do here? We're sitting by a body of water in the sun. I could be reading a book, uh, writing an essay. There, I could be rearranging my closet. I can't, no, with the sitting by the pool. This is my point. It's mm-hmm. hard for mm-hmm. me. When people tell me to have more fun or be more playful or let go or relax, I find those words to be just somewhat triggering and meaningless. But to hear the invitation to be curious, I think is a non-charged word. It just allows what mm. is and for you to observe it. So I'm really liking that word choice and I'm going to I'm going to write that word down maybe staple it to my forehead but I also wanted to respond to your point about animals being these balls of energy. I know I've talked to you about this before. There's a Spanish word, the word is lastima. Mm-hmm. And it's my favorite word. It's who I am in one word, lastima. Lastima, when you say, ay, que lastima, it means like, oh, what a pity, or that's too bad, or what a shame. But when I say, I have lastima, or tengo lastima, I mean, I know what it is to be in your shoes. It, I mean, what you feel, or wish for, or need, or are lacking, or celebrating, or hurting, it has jumped off of you. Mm. And it is in me now. And I feel it for you, and most importantly, with you. Yeah, It is same, same, no place where you end and I begin. And I suffer from debilitating lastima 
last name, my disorder, when I don't know when it's going to happen and it's all the time. And I don't know how hard it's going to hit me. It's always hard. And I thought something was wrong with me forever. Mm. And I promise this will get back to you and you talking all this to say. <laughs> my family did the best they could. And I have compassion for them now yeah. because I see that my lastima, it wasn't that they were inconvenienced by it or annoyed by it, although they somewhat were, that it scared them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My lastima scared them. And the only beings who were not afraid of my lastima were, my, were the animals in my life. They were the only beings who were like, me too, same, same. I also last in my... Yes. They were the, if I did not have animals, I would still think something's wrong with me. Instead of looking at it as like, oh my God, I'm so lucky I have a superpower. Yep. I feel this big and this much. And the, hearing your voice in your podcast, reading what you write, even on from Medium to your blog, I feel that from you. I feel this tremendous, shiny lastima from you. Mm. And I just can't say that about many people. I just love it. Ah, Thank you so much, Katya. And that's so beautiful. I'm so grateful that you had animals because I hold all of that and I feel debilitated by it at times. I feel overwhelmed by it at times. And I know it's a superpower. And you're not alone in that feeling. And you're not wrong. It's a tremendous superpower that we just need to be curious about, right? <laughs> to discern its powers, right? To discern like how it interacts in our world. I'm with you. I don't want to sit by a pool. What am I doing there? What use is that? Do I have a book? Then maybe I can do it. But otherwise, no thanks. Maybe. Yeah. Bless my husband. He is so fun. But I'll meet you back at home. <laughs> Have fun at the pool. Do you feel that your empathy and your lastima is something that you know how to manage? Do you have boundaries around it now? And do you feel like it was part of your eating disorder challenges? Uh, 100% all of the above, yes to that. So the eating disorder was a control response. My parents had a terrible relationship and I became a mediator because of the lastima, <laughs> because I wanted to help and fix and, you know, put my big heart out there. So there was a lot of like back and forth. You know, I was 19 years old when that was happening and I felt out of control. So the control I found in food, right? Control I found in the eating disorder. That is a unbridled sort of unhoned and unrefined type of empathy, right? Like my heart's in the right place. It's also not my place, right? And they're playing mm -hmm. a role in that too, my parents, right? They shouldn't have been crying on my shoulders in one hand and then my dad screaming at my mom in the other. That, that should not happen, right? No. So now I, I say empathy without boundaries is self-immolation. We have to have boundaries, right? Like otherwise we're just gonna overwhelm ourselves and explode, right? I am someone who feels the weight of the world I feel what's going on in Afghanistan and Haiti and here in the States where people are dying in hospitals, children. It breaks my heart uh, to think about it. And I also have to have boundaries. Otherwise, I'm just going to be incapacitated and I'm not going to be able to use my superpowers, right? It has to come with boundaries. Otherwise, we're not going to be any use to ourselves or anyone else, right? 
How do you help people who are listening who maybe haven't had the space and the Scooby and the Jessica to help them find those boundaries and be curious about them and get it wrong and try again? How do they learn? If they haven't read the books you've read or in my case, gone to the 12-step meetings or uncovered a higher power who's just a funny, badass chick who I love so much. Maybe they don't even have a pet. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't have a horse or an animal in their life. What do you tell people? What do you advise? I know you're not a therapist, but you are an expert here. And I'm wondering how can people make boundaries for themselves that feel safe? Because if not, the only boundary we have is hate. And I'd like to see what lies beyond hating. Yeah, we don't live in a this versus that world uh, as much as we like to put it that way. I would argue to your question, I would say that we do have those things. We just need to find them. They're there and we may be scared. We may be fearful. There may be anxiety about reaching out, but there are a tremendous amount of safe places and safe people. And I think that's what it takes is safe places and safe people. I think about, especially nowadays, there are a tremendous amount of online groups, you know, Mental Health of America, Project Heal for Eating Disorder Therapy, Alliance for Eating Disorders. So many organizations that are doing tremendous work. Feel Human obviously is part of that, right? Yes. Creating safe spaces for people to show up as they are. And I would say that they're not alone, that those safe places are there. Those safe people are there. They just haven't maybe presented themselves yet. Or I was going to say we need to like reach out. But I, I think what comes before that is deciding if we are worthy of doing so. Yeah. And the fact remains is that you are, right? We are. Yeah. We are worthy of healing. We are worthy of being nourished. We are worthy of recovery, right? We have to decide on that for ourselves. Once we do that, the safe spaces will open up. They do. There are a tremendous amount of I mean, when I was going through my recovery, Katya, I did it alone. Like, I didn't have anyone. This was pre-Scooby? This was pre-Scooby. Yeah, this was pre-Scooby. You know, my eating disorder was like 19 through basically 28 or so. Uh, I met Jessica around that time. Decide and define the fact that you are worthy because you are. And the safe spaces do open up. There's so many wonderful options out there. I really love that. I love that hope. I love that faith. Mm. that it's there and that it can come for you. I didn't find them before, Ophelia. I always tell people that I believe that loving an animal is one of the most available, most accessible portals for healing and transformation and loving yourself enough to want to love yourself more. Yes. That's all. That's the baseline. Now you can start there. I love myself enough to want to love myself more than this. That's a great place to start. And I, me personally, my story, it took Ophelia coming into my life and seeing me in the pantry and seeing me over a toilet and seeing me just so thorny. I could be nice. Yeah, I was nice and I could be sweet and I could pretend out here. But inside, I was thorny. I was prickly. Good word. And her loving me anyway scrambled everything broke the computer, just scrambled it. And um, I'm wondering what you think of that. If you think it's a legit way to begin to foster an animal for a weekend, love an animal, um, go have experiences on farm, go to walk your friend's dog, something, just pet yeah. a cat, go to an adoption event, just some 
way that you can not only be of service, but have access to these beings who will love you exactly as you are. And then they will whisper in their purrs and barks to sign up on the Feeling Human Collective, obviously, because <laughs> all animals will do that. <laughs> I think it's needed. I believe we all should probably foster more animals in our lives, right? And be around more animals because of that exact thing. I could never say no to that power because it's immensely powerful to do that. Because I know as you talk about your experience with Ophelia and your recovery, you're probably holding on to an immense amount of pain and self-hatred and shame and guilt, right? And all these things that we hold on to. And Ophelia, it goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning. Ophelia is not holding any of that, right? She sees you as a whole loving person who deserves all the love in the world. Yeah. The more we can reflect that and more we can sort of be witness to that kind of love, I think it's transformative. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us about the grief workshop that you have coming up? I do a lot of work with senior pets. I support rescues who focus on seniors. I foster seniors. I just, Mm. I love them so much. I just love senior animals with all my heart. And um, not that I don't love the other ones, but do have a soft spot there. And I'm wondering, I feel like other people like me who love our oldies might want to know about what you have coming up might be of service to us. Yeah, well, it's tomorrow as of this recording. Um, We'll, Ah. (laughs) it's okay. We'll do other ones and stuff. But I, you know, I, so I, I will couch this in. Scooby was my first big grief. Like mm-hmm. I've really not lost anyone in my life really close to me in that way. A couple of months after losing him, I was feeling just in my body like, whoa, I am depressed. Like I was having the suicidal ideation I have when I get really down. And I was like, what's going on? I was just like, everything was muted. Everything was gray. I was just down and I made an appointment with my therapist and she's like, you lost Scooby. And I was like, Mm. of course that's the reason. Like you (laughs) dumb dumb. It's so obvious, but it's a reminder that we need each other, right? It's a reminder that we need that reflection back because we do get so in our heads and we get lost and stuff. So that was like a big sort of wake up call for me. I think grief is a, a thing in the world that we don't talk about enough, right? It goes back to like uh, the beauty of what remains, right? It's death is something that connects us all, right? We all die, right? So we need to talk about it. We need to normalize it. We need to work through those hard feelings, the fear, the anxiety, right? So this workshop led by my writer friend, Katie Huey, is called As We Carry On, using words to explore grief through a compassionate lens. And it's a writing and grief workshop for Feely Human. I lead workshops on empathy. I host others. I facilitate others to lead their own. And I just kind of do all the marketing and the hosting of it. And I love it because it it allows others to kind of shine their light. And then it gives my community a chance to explore something that they may not have before, right? You know, so grief work is like, something that I believe in very strongly. It's just another opportunity to reflect, right? Yeah. And to get deep into the stuff that we're not talking about enough, you know? Yep, it'll come up anyways. I always recommend and I'll suggest it to you. I've done it a gazillion times because 
you know, I like to do and do and then do some more, but um, write a letter to Scooby. Mm. I always tell people to write a letter. I have written to Phoebe, my shepherd, who I just love with every bit of me. She's the best teacher. And, and Frito, another old pity we adopted. And I write dear Ophelia all the time. Uh, I probably, maybe, maybe she doesn't want any more letters. Her inbox is full, Katya. <laughs> it's full. It's not accepting any new messages. I do it because there's so much there. And and to your point, like, it's the stuff we don't talk about. It's interesting that the stuff we don't talk about is this is really the stuff that connects us, right? Huh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Right? We want to talk about the stuff that's like, yeah, we are these individualist beacons of strength, conquering the world, crushing it all. When really we're we're this like rich tapestry of like connection and human complexity and curiosity and empathy and compassion and love. And that's what we are. That's the world, yeah. right? But like we, I don't know, there's something about it that like, I hope to, in all of us, and certainly in men, to like allow us more softness and space for that vulnerability that is pure and beautiful in connection. Well, I definitely want to live in your kind of world, the world that you see for us. And I hope Paladin, no, Paladin, Paladin, and Te- Paladin. Tessa, yes, and Maggie, yes. your current dog. Maddie, Maddie, not Maggie, <laughs> Maddie, D, double D, your current dog. I hope that they remind you of all these things that you so abundantly create for other people. I hope that they are always a source for you to keep being able to give as much as you do. Thank you, Katya. I will say the same of you, beautiful friend. I'm so glad we're friends and thank you for being here. Can you tell everyone how can they love you and support you and follow you and be a part of what you're developing for all of us? Yeah, thank you. We've mentioned the Feely Human Collective. It's a space to grow your capacity for empathy and emotional curiosity and vulnerability. And it's just me running the ship. I also have a day job doing my best. I want it to be a thing that supports me someday. Not there yet, but there are workshops and there's a journal and uh, you can learn more about that at feelyhuman.co. And then I have the podcast, You Me Empathy, which is available everywhere. There are uh, almost 200 episodes at this point. And uh, I talk to people about their feelings and mental health and always looking for new guests. So uh, yeah, check me out on where the podcasts are. And Instagram. Yes. And sharing your sharing what you got. Um, Known, thank you for coming and being here. And I hope you feel Scooby in every breeze. Thank you, Katya. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all so much for tuning into The Animal That Changed You, a weekly podcast that features extraordinary people talking about the extraordinary animals that changed their lives. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a review. Search for us on Instagram at The Animal That Changed You or on Twitter at T-A-T-C-Y Podcast and tell your friends. And if you've got a story about an animal that changed your life, tell me about it. Message me, tag me. I would love to hear. I appreciate you. I love your animals and I'll see you next time. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com. Ah!